Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. Hi everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Strength in the Numbers. Our guest mentor today is Larissa Melnichuk, and I've been trying to get Larissa on the show for ages, so really delighted to bring her on the show, because she has some amazing insights picked up through many years of not only working with inside FP&A, Financial Planning Analysis, but also from the outside in. And she travels the world, racks up many, many thousands of miles and kilometers going to various cities around the world where she leads a number of FP&A circles and forums and talking to leaders in finance across many different organizations and many different industries. So what she has to say is the culmination of all those many, many, many conversations. And she shares some amazing insights on the show. I mean, one that, that blew me away was why 70% of UK CFOs are suggesting FP&A is the hardest position to fill in finance and accounting. And that's the only one area she goes into. She also goes on to, to say why uh, she would challenge those who think the accounting profession is not creative enough. Uh, also, practically, she breaks out three years. FP&A can become less traditional in, and also more valuable in supporting quicker, more flexible decision-making processes in their organisations. And then we peer into the future three to five years out and what FP&A might actually look like then. So look, there's loads of value in this podcast. It's a tiny bit longer than usual, but there's so many great insights packed in there. I just couldn't let Larissa off the line. So if you enjoyed the show and want to check out any of the resources or items mentioned on it or how to connect with Larissa, please check out our detailed timestamp show notes at sitnshow.com slash podcast slash zero seven zero. So without further ado, over to Larissa and the show. Yes, so where shall I start? Uh, As you can hear from my accent, uh, I'm originally from Eastern Europe. Uh, I'm Ukrainian. Uh, And uh, after school, I decided that I really like physics and mathematics. And the decision was to go to technical university. Uh, And I studied for six and a half years, and I received a Master of Science in uh, Physics of Materials. And then uh, somehow after the university, I realized that uh, technical and engineering profession is not for me. Uh, and it was a very exciting time in um, new independent Ukraine. So we had a lot of opportunities to study abroad. There were some scholarships and so on and so far. Uh, and I was very lucky uh, to uh, use this opportunity. So I studied uh, in many different places around the globe uh, for shorter and uh, longer executive and management programs in order for me to understand what I would like to choose uh, from a business profession. And it was my uh, conscious decision to choose finance because uh, I really thought that my mathematical, logical, engineering and um, scientific background will help me be very logical and proactive uh, FPNA person. At that time, we didn't think, we didn't call this FPNA, we called this forward looking finance. So mm-hmm. the decision came really uh, after some experience and a lot of study. I was very lucky, I think. It's um, it's funny how a fortune favors people who take sort of action and take some positive steps in their career. I suppose, in terms of your journey, 
you know, you, you've done the accounting and finance thing, you've, you've done the business side of things, you know, and you're one of the probably the foremost thought leaders on the FP&A side and forward-looking finance at the moment. I suppose what's been sort of the biggest standout moment for you in your career to date that, um, that you could share with our audience? Uh, I would say that the, the, the biggest, uh, the biggest um, impact that happened in my career, it was quite early here in the UK. So I've been in the UK for the last 20 years. Uh, arrived 20 years for my first job and only for one year, but then it's happened that um, I stayed more than 20 years now. So quite early uh, during my career, uh, we realized uh, how um, impactful, how uh, powerful um, analytics, finance analytics could be. Again, maybe it was luck, but we were um, really making differences uh, in the companies where I worked for. There were different experiences, obviously. And like anyone in uh, FP&A department, it took so much time to, to do some data cleansing and making sure that you're looking at the same picture uh, of uh, data yeah. before you analyze it. And obviously, there were some demotivational moments where, uh, for example, in particular, salespeople uh, didn't like what we showed them in terms of the uh, future mm-hmm. development of the sales uh, and that uh, probably we are not growing the company profitably. But also what we learned from the beginning that some of the analytics could be very powerful and uh, being quite junior FPNA person many years ago, I remember how we changed the board of directors' uh, decision on uh, some of the very strategic matters uh, after our analysis that we done. And uh, even at that time uh, when technology wasn't as developed as now, um, FPNA people could make quite a big difference if, if they were allowed to do this. That's an interesting thing I've noticed with FP&A. Even, even when you can be quite at a junior level in there, some of the work that we do can impact decisions right all the way up to board level. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing when you think about it. And you're not the first person to share that thought on, on our podcasts. I suppose in terms of would that type of thing have scared you? Or, I mean, like how, did you, how did you approach preparing analyses that could change a board decision? I mean, how, how do you prepare yourself or what steps do you go through for that? I would say that um, even now, not every company allows this. It really um, Mm -hmm. uh, depends on the company culture. And if you are lucky enough to work for the company that values analytics and values analytics that is going outside of the um, box, somehow outside of the standard methods, uh, then you are very lucky. You you see? The company, the the first... first, uh, think the first step the company should be ready for good analytical work. This is the first one. Yes. Uh, but obviously, um, when people say that accounting profession um, is not creative, I would disagree with them, and especially in terms of modern management accounting or modern FP&A. Uh, this is a very creative uh, profession if you're allowed to be creative, if you're allowed uh, to go outside of the box and use different analytical skills and analytical techniques. So I would say that uh, the atmosphere in the department of FPNA is also very important as well. Um, you know, if the management encourage uh, to do analysis, to go outside uh, of the box, if it's not just a simple uh, trend analysis, but people know how to do statistical methods, or are familiar with um, survival analysis techniques that are very important and very useful for FP&A people in financial services industry, 
if people really like uh, to create the models and uh, to see how these models will in influence uh, performance of the company, this is how you can really make a difference. But I would say that proactivity, this is one of the paramount skills mm. that is needed uh, from people, yes. because if you just sit in your fi finance department, in your FTNA department, and just uh, prepare to meet one deadline and then another one, and probably not to go outside of this book, then it's very difficult to make any, um, it's very, very difficult to influence the board decisions. Actually, uh, yeah, I'm just actually thinking like when you were just talking of pulling out that bit in your career store, and I know you said you were lucky, right? But I think there's an element of you making your own luck as well, because I suppose when we were starting out in our accounting and finance careers, I don't think analytics, it might have been as important, but I don't think people maybe appreciate it because, because with all the digital disruption that's going on, I think the first wave that was impacted was was information intensive uh, industries. So like your newspapers or mu music companies or, or the likes that, that were replaced by iTunes or Netflix or the provision of online news now. And, you know, finance and accounting, we do an awful lot around information and FP&A in particular analytics. So if, if there's that expression at the moment, like that is the new oil and analytics is the new engine. So the time couldn't be better for any people willing to seek out companies that appreciate that, the culture, I think the opportunities there. And as you said, Larissa, just being a bit more proactive about it, um, you know, might actually allow us the opportunities to be, be influencing meaningful problems or problem solving or decisions for our organization. So really exciting time to be, to be an FP&A in particular, I think. I suppose what, you know, that leads me on to another question for you. I mean, what's exciting you most about what you're doing? At the moment, uh, I, I'm developing my own uh, company, my own practice, and also uh, I'm managing director of international FP&A boards. So I develop uh, international FP&A boards in many different uh, countries and cities. If somebody told me uh, five years ago that I will be at this place where I am now, I, I, ne I never would even imagine this. Uh, but <laughs> we're, 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 just this week in London, uh, we had our 20th FPNA board. Uh, we discussed uh, wow. FPNA team building, and it was a very interesting and very um, uh, collaborative and, and very exciting uh, discussion uh, with some case studies and group work. And some interesting conclusions as well. And uh, in 10 days, I will be in Japan, uh, where we open our 20th FPNA board. Um, and it will be our 13th country. And it's happened uh, in the last two years. So this is the very exciting moment for me. Uh, I spent so much time uh, working for different organizations to be inside of the company, uh, to lead uh, different FPNA teams and uh, to develop different uh, projects. Uh, and I always, I always was very curious how how other organizations are doing this. Obviously, we're all so busy in FPNA. Uh, we have so many deadlines. We are working uh, such long hours that sometimes we don't have time just to stop and to think how we can change it, how we can make it better. But now I have this opportunity. You see, so uh, five years ago I changed my life. Uh, I decided to try something that I always wanted to try, uh, go outside of corporate world and to create something by myself. And where I am now, it's just incredible because I received this opportunity to see what other companies are doing, uh, what different industries are doing. And 
you know, it's amazing uh, how um, global are those trends. So you will see a very similar situations in Asia and in the Middle East and in Australia and uh, in America and here in Europe as well. You know, so we all uh, are at the same place. We understand that we need uh, to move uh, our traditional management accounting to different places. Uh, we need uh, to support a very quick, uh, flexible, and dynamic decision-making process. And all together, with collective thinking, we are developing those trends. So it's a very exciting time for me. I, I can imagine. Look, there's a few bits in there I want to pick you up on, but I also want to share with other audience. I'm I actually a big fan of your website. Thank you. FP&A Trends. Thank you so much. Yeah, look... The, I think that you've got a great uh, diverse uh, contributors from a blog's perspective as well, some really excellent articles. I, I'm always reading them and getting great ideas that I can bring into to my own work. But also, it's just great to see the amount of meetings that, that you're attending and you're, you're, you're growing, you know, particularly with you you're going on to Asia now. I'm so excited for you. And, and um, I highly encourage our audience to check out your website. I'll put that uh, that reference in the show notes as well. I think... Correct me if I'm wrong, Larissa, fpna slash trends.com. Yes, absolutely. And again, uh, the website, uh, it, 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 this is the service to our global community. When we had our first uh, FPNA board meeting uh, almost five years ago, in September it will be five years. Uh, at the first meeting, we were only five people, and we, uh, not five, I think we were eight people. And we met uh, in central London in one of the offices of our members. And it was one of the um, to-do lists. Uh, we, we were discussing that really uh, FPNA needs knowledge and it need, needs uh, the exchange platform for knowledge and something which is non-commercial, something which is uh, vendor agnostic uh, and so on so far. And we created website only two and a half years ago and continue this way. So a lot of authors, a lot of uh, thought leaders are sharing information with us and again we are very lucky that we have this opportunity to serve fpna community with this uh, latest knowledge and uh, another thing that this is the free knowledge so we are not charging for people to access our website and also it's independent knowledge it's not influenced by any vendors by any salespeople, and we're very proud of this and I, there was actually something that's interesting so i know it's sort of serving the fpna community to some degree but you made you just mentioned we were talking there, Larissa, about uh, traditional management accounting and how it may need to be different. Or maybe I, I'm imagining even grow up a bit. I mean, do you want to expand on that a bit further, how perhaps traditional management accounting needs to change? Because I think we're both qualified management accountants ourselves. Absolutely, yeah. SEMA qualification. So this is our management accounting body in the UK and many, many countries around the globe. And obviously it was, uh, and it is, it's still fantastic uh, qualification. But the reality is such that um, when, uh, as an FPNA director, you try uh, to find new people, uh, FPNA practitioners, yeah. you're looking for uh, some staff in your department. And with uh, half a million qualified accountants in the UK, I must say that this is a very difficult task. And uh, if I, I experienced this uh, probably six years ago when I was looking for several people. Um, and, you know, uh, there, there were a lot of people at the marketplace and a lot of SEMA qualified and the ACA, ACCA. But the reality is when you interview those people, you understand that it's not enough 
uh, to be qualified accountant in order to be modern FPNA pr- practitioner. And interestingly enough, we started to discuss this uh, at London board uh, quite early. Uh, and what I discovered that uh, quite a few of my colleagues already started to experiment with uh, people outside of uh, accounting profession. Oh. And the interesting thing mm-hmm. that many of them said that uh, they are really exceptionally good, you know, like people with engineering background, with mathematical background, and so on and so far. So they have this mathematical mind. They are really very good business architects. They can see the picture. They can uh, go outside of the box that I mentioned to you, Andrew, at the beginning of this conversation. So the reality is that the, 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 the world, when we uh, just qualified and thought that we set for life, uh, this time for now, yeah? So as qualified yeah, accountants, yeah. we really have to work very hard in order to be um, adjusted, adopted with uh, the current trends. We really have to be much more analytical. Um, we really need to understand uh, what is going on. Otherwise, we will be just redundant. Yeah, I, I feel, I've got a feeling, and practically, you know, from hiring decisions, uh, I hate to say it, I can't remember the last time I employed an accountant. Not to say that we don't have the skills, I just think we do. It's just, I've got some very good accountants working with me already, and it's just about supplementing them with very smart people who can help think us a bit outside. So people from engineering backgrounds, data science, uh, analytics, operations and actually it's a cross fertilization it's uh, us helping them understand uh, business processes a a bit better and also how things translate into the financials and them helping us with what their professions can bring to the table as well so it's um it's that i think that diversity and also that willingness to to try new things and you know i've i've made some very good hires from even hr teams and it teams in the past as well so I encourage any sort of finance leaders out there is build a good core of, of accounting and finance professionals, but also supplement them with people willing to look from the outside in as well Absolutely. to help the whole team grow. Absolutely. And I wanted, yeah. to, add, I wanted to add, Andrew, that, that just this week in London, uh, we discussed SPNA building. And when we brainstorm uh, the attributes, uh, attributes of good SPNA professionals, it was quite a long list. And the reality is that mm-hmm. to find uh, the combination of all those skills in one person is very, very difficult. And this is the reason why uh, definitely it's so of difficult to find good FPNA pr- pr- professionals. Uh, you know that the statistics shows that uh, in the UK, um, up to 70% of CFO, CFO say that this is the most difficult position to fill for the reasons that we discussed, because the requirements are incredible. So one of the solutions, as you said, Andrew, uh, it will be uh, how to build uh, teams with some complementary skills, with some complementary attitudes as well, you know. So it's very, very important task. Yeah, I I agree. Those attributes, those traits, like I I think I've I've got it down to about 12. And I I still think that underplays it. I think I just have to make it a manageable number for people to understand. And look, I'll make this free on the the website I'm working with a developer at the moment to bring it into being. But, you know, I don't expect everyone to score highly on each trait, but it's about how you can complement with your traits, your attributes, the rest of the team and the rest of the organization and plug into it as an added value piece. You know, I, I think we shouldn't expect to be brilliant at everything, this is but, absolutely but true. know our strengths, you know, and build on those. 
and we've got greater strengths at FP&A, that visibility across the business, the ability to translate what's going on, the financial access to decision makers all the way up to board level, you know, good technical training. I mean, you know, what a, what a great skill to have in today's age when information is the new oil. So, yes. um, you know, I, I, I just don't want I don't want people to feel discouraged about an accounting and finance career. I just think it's it's a great strength to be plugging into organizations and appreciate other people have very useful skills that when they combine with FP&A uh, and uh, and other sort of accountants out there, I think it just improves the overall value proposition. That's where we need good leaders as well to, to facilitate and make that happen. And again, really encouraging to hear people are thinking outside the box. Absolutely. But I also wanted to add, Andrew, that um, uh, in the UK and also in those countries where uh, traditional accounting qualifications are very popular, uh, they continue to be very popular. But traveling the world, I can see that there are great FPNA people with, uh, for example, in America, the typical FPNA director will be um, an engineer or maybe a mathematician with some uh, MBA. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You know, or, yeah. or somewhere in Germany, it will be just an engineer with some experience in finance because there are no special yeah. accounting qualifications in Germany. And the same happening in uh, Scandinavian countries or in France, for example, you know. But then you will go to countries like uh, the Middle East, uh, Middle Eastern countries and Asian countries, and you will see a lot of different qualifications there. So a lot of... Um, international people coming uh, with their own background and their own qualifications. So American qualifications, uh, uh, some local qualifications, British qualifications. I must say that qualification, uh, it's not the same as it used to be. You know, there are many different ways to the profession. And uh, previously it was, at least in the UK, uh, the the way to, to the profession, the way to be finance director, it was only professional qualification. At the moment, there are different ways. And another thing, uh, FPNA certification that was developed by AFP uh, around five years ago, it becomes more and more popular, you know. And the idea is that it's uh, only two exams, very, very practical. And the idea is that the exams uh, were developed by practitioners, by people like um, <laughs> you and me. And actually, uh, I was one of the volunteers <laughs> to develop this qualification, you see. See, I think it's um, it's a bit more uh, practitioner type crowdsourced qualification. I I have to say, I'm going to confess, I don't I don't know the ins and outs of it. We've had um, a couple of previous guests on the podcast that actually are contributors to it as well, Larissa. And you know, yeah. if it's anything to go by, interviewing you all like yeah, and encouraging. There's such great thought leaders that are practically contributing their experience to this, building qualifications where, for, I don't know about you, but for me, SEMA was the only choice I felt when I when I was sort of finishing up uh, my studies and, and I wanted to do it. And it was, for me, it was like a golden ticket. But looking at it now and then having led global teams and, and seeing other finance directors out there and speaking with great finance and accounting professionals, I'd, I'd say the balance is shifting in terms of you don't necessarily need a, a, an accounting qualification to be very relevant in accounting and finance anymore. Um, it helps, but it's not the golden ticket it used to be. Absolutely, yeah. I've seen um, incredible, uh, very talented uh, finance, in particular FP&A leaders that uh, never had any accounting qualification. You see, so I'm sure that there are different ways go and this is the reason why uh, our accounting qualifications have to change as well they have to take into consideration very practical uh, way uh, of fpna 
disease. So they should adjust very, very quickly as well with the current trends. Well, just thinking out, there's there's this expression out there, um, and I know you're doing a lot of traveling, Larissa. Like, you know, there's a there's this expression out there, the chief value officer, because because accounting is becoming a bit um, more hybrid now with the finance and accounting side combining a bit more operations and customer success. That's all coming together, and people are saying, well, the CFO is now becoming the CVO, the chief value officer. Uh, have you sort of heard or you know seen those conversations developing on your travels or anything like that around adding uh, you know finance adding more value or FPNA adding more value anything anything come to your attention? I really like this question, Andrew, um, because you are absolutely right. FPNA this is not the function anymore. This is not just the department. Mm-hmm. FPNA uh, this is the framework in business, the framework mm-hmm. that is used for uh, strategic decision making and also for operational decision-making. And um, not only C4 is becoming um, uh, value, value, you call this chief value adding officer, chief value officer, yeah? yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, I've seen yeah. situations when uh, FP&A directors uh, became part of the board. So I know uh, a couple of uh, oh, examples wow. like this, still a few, but I believe that there will be more and more uh, examples like this. But now it's absolutely normal for especially group FP&A directors, to sit at the board, not as the uh, executive members of the board, uh, but uh, as a providers of information and uh, those yes. that can play scenarios very quickly. And I can see it um, in many companies now, you know, so it's already started to happen. So definitely uh, everything about uh, value adding analysis, everything about uh, adding value to the company. And ultimate goal uh, for FPNA, this is to support very quick and flexible decision-making process in this incredible business environment. This is exactly what we need now. Yeah, completely. And look, I, I could I could talk with you all day, Larissa. So I gotta be respectful of your time as well. I don't like I might need a part two on this, but I, I can't let you get off this topic. So you know, in terms of let's say. We've got some of our listeners there that, okay, want to go down this route or this route. Like, what could be a couple baby steps that get them closer to offering this sort of flexible and valuable decision support, that forward-looking support for the business? What steps could they take in your mind? Oh, this is this is an interesting question that uh, very difficult to answer just in a few sentences. I know, yeah. <laughs> this is exactly what we are um, discussing um, around the globe with our international FP&A boards, uh, the boards that um, attended by CFOs and finance directors of large organizations. Um, the, the reality is that everything starts from the culture. And this is uh, currently, culture. this is one of the yeah. biggest barrier uh, on the way of um, modern financial planning and analysis. Uh, if this is a very traditional culture where a very traditional budgeting and planning process is embedded into this culture, then it's very difficult to change anything. You know, you could be wonderful FP&A practitioner, professional uh, with a um, fantastic team of analysts. Uh, but the reality is that probably you wouldn't even you you wouldn't be even allowed uh, to share your ideas if company is very traditional. Yeah. Uh, if company um, uh, prepared, uh, said the, the, the targets that are probably not so analytical and more judgmental. You know, budgeting, it's all 
about judgment very often. You know, very, very rare traditional budgeting process uh, is analytical, uh, independent, and creative process. Very often, this is the negotiation between top management and operational uh, directors about uh, the targets and future uh, goals and bonuses. So in reality, this is what is a budget. Yeah? And if you still have this uh, process very embedded in your company, it's very difficult to change it. But though I've seen some situations when it could be changed from the bottom uh, by those uh, very analytical people with some very interesting analytical uh, insights that they can share in the company. So I saw that it's happening already. So the first one, obviously, this is the culture. The second one, people have, have to be ready. You know, we already talk about traditional accountants. Definitely, they are not traditional accountants. They are not just mm -hmm. consolidators of information. And we already discussed this, uh, that people should be thinking outside of the box. They should be proactive. Definitely. They also should be quite brave, you know, because sometimes it's not easy uh, in organization to go outside and to say, you know what, but we have to change this, this and that because this is what our analytics showing and this is what we are going to have in the future. And sometimes it's not easy when company doesn't allow uh, this free thinking and company doesn't allow um, the ideas, analytical ideas. Sometimes it happens, unfortunately. It does. Yeah, no, it does. Yeah. It does. And can be very frustrating as well. Yeah. You know, and, you know, to build resilience, to keep going and keep believing in, in the value we're trying to provide. Very, very difficult scenarios. And I've seen a lot of good FP&A professionals leave and move to other companies where they're embraced. And sometimes that's unfortunately the move. And, you know, I, I tend to see what happens other times. The, the finance teams of those those business units where, where they left, they tend to stagnate. Absolutely. And, um, Absolutely. you know, like, that, you know, culture is so important, but you got to give it a shot. You know, you can't quit before you, you, you've given it a go because you learn so much in that process about yourself and also the culture that's going to fit for you where analytics is going to be appreciated. It's absolutely true, Andrew. So the best way to lose your best analysts this is to, to create this atmosphere where, where they have uh, to be very political, to think what they um, yeah. deliver exactly. uh, to the top management and so on so far. But, you know, another thing which is very important, uh, this is also analytical, um, uh, analytical systems. In many companies, um, planning systems, they either outdated or maybe if new systems were implemented recently, they were implemented with the um, old um, model in, uh, in mind. And what I mean by this, uh, you see, even the way how we model and how we plan, all of this should be changed as well. So it's not a line-by-line -line planning uh, almost to your general ledger level uh, as we used to do many, many years in traditional management accounting. But actually, this is thinking about key drivers. It's thinking about how these key drivers are going to change. Thinking about outside yeah. and uh, internal and external drivers. And also um, cr creating the architecture of your model that allows you for very quick, almost um, in real-time decision-making process. And if you ask me uh, whether many companies uh, manage to achieve it, uh, no, it's not happening yet. You see, so the majority of companies are still very, very traditional. So we have to change our processes as well. That is so true. And I think it's, and you know what? A lot of people want to skip this step because they don't think it's value adding. And um, 
and and it's hard you know uh, cleaning data identifying the real value drivers getting all the disparate bits of internal external sources together but if we haven't got the right ar- architecture to drive our own understanding how are we going to be effectively communicating the real story what's going on with the decision makers so we have to go through it and we learn a lot about a business its model its its value chain in, in the process so unfortunately there's no getting around it you know sometimes we're fortunate that the architect architecture is in place when we arrive but sometimes we have to build it and uh, and once we we have it then it opens up a great platform to add so much value and i think that's one of the exciting things about working in fpna at the moment is just that that those existing strengths with that type of architecture uh, you know you, you can really make um, make a meaningful contribution to organizational performance and and have a good fun rewarding career along along with it as well larissa you know so so i mean actually just thinking at the time i'd again again want to be respectful um, would you have any other sort of final thoughts for for our audience in terms of FP&A or what their sort of next steps or what they should be thinking about in terms of the future of finance uh, and FP&A for them? Yes, absolutely. And Andrew, it will be relating to your previous commentary about quality of data and uh, architecture of uh, models. Uh, you absolutely um, spot on on this. You see uh, what is happening at the moment and what we will see in the next three, five years, everything about uh, will be about data. Everything will be about how to use these oceans of data, both external and internal, for planning and forecasting and decision-making. Uh, and uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, everything will be about data quality because this is one of the biggest issue in many organizations. But also it will be about building uh, fully driver-based models Those models that can uh, explain at least 80% of the results. And those models that uh, could be played in real time in the boardrooms uh, for uh, almost immediate decision-making process. Obviously, the judgment still will be there, but the judgment is not going to be to such extent, and it's not going to be a biased judgment. Uh, It's going to be judgment that is based on um, uh, experience, on intuition, and it will be maybe only 20% of your um, analytical process, you know. So um, in view of this, um, we started uh, to explore how uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning can help us to identify those drivers. And uh, we created our global artificial intelligence and machine learning FPNA committee uh, just recently. We had only two meetings this year, and we are going to have the next one. Uh, in November. So the project is quite unique from the point of view that uh, it's exploring um, how to use artificial intelligence and machine learning only for FPNA, only for strategic finance, not for those um, uh, small tasks of automation or for operational finance, but how to combine this uh, for the task of driver-based planning, identification of the drivers and maintaining of this model in the future. And you know what? Uh, two years ago, I, 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 didn't hear, I didn't hear about such instances. But now uh, we have um, 12 uh, members of this uh, committee, uh, and all of them representatives of those organizations that already started to use artificial intelligence and machine learning for FPNA, for decision-making. So it's already started. This 
this is the only beginning. Uh, we wouldn't say that uh, it's uh, very common uh, in FPNA yet, but uh, the goal of this committee to learn those cases, but also uh, in parallel, we are doing our research project. Uh, so we are uh, creating uh, the solution, how it's possible to do this, you see. So very excited about the future and just watch this place. Uh, Driver-based planning, artificial intelligence, using data for decision-making, for planning and analysis. So this is the place to watch for all FTNA practitioners. Well, that's that's fantastic. Larissa, that's really encouraging to hear that as well. If uh, our audience, if they sort of want to follow up or, or connect with you about uh, any of the, the items we mentioned and we covered a lot on our podcast today, where's the best place for them to connect with you at? So they can register on our website to be uh, connected. Uh, also, they can become uh, the part of our uh, FPNA club LinkedIn group. So the group is um, more than 5,300 people at the moment, and we try to discuss everything what is happening uh, in this group. And also, uh, I would be uh, quite happy to connect with people on LinkedIn. So just send me um, the invite and say that you were part of this uh that you were listening to this broadcast and you would like to connect with me. And another thing uh, that I would like uh, to say that we are looking for interesting case studies in financial planning and analysis. We are looking for those companies that already started to use artificial intelligence and machine learning for FDNA or uh, any interesting predictive analytics uh, examples or any interesting FDNA business partnering examples. So please, reach out to me directly um, to LinkedIn if you have such examples. I would be quite happy uh, to look at this. And uh, our goal is to look at this and to share this with our community if this is something which is really unique and interesting. That's, that's fantastic, Larissa. And again, look, really appreciate for all the insights you shared with us. And it's been great to have someone who's built up a great practical knowledge of FP&A and then from inside and then for the last five, six years, seen our profession from the outside in uh, to share such great insights and trends and also a path perhaps to how we can be more relevant into the future as well. Larissa, thanks for coming on our show today and have safe travels to Asia. Yes, thank you so much. And Andrew, thank you for giving me this great opportunity. I'm enjoying listening to your broadcast. So I think this is a great initiative as well. Good luck uh, with uh, development of this exciting project so thank you so much for this and hope to meet with you in person very soon thank you so there you have it hope you enjoyed today's show if you'd like to know more about our guests today their bio and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com there you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows read the latest blogs There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. 
And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. And when all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers.